wanted to design the ideal nose, how would we do it? What features would we build into it? And where would we install it on the body? If we wrote a job description for the nose, it would be a long and important list. Let's talk. A word that's showing up more frequently in scientific circles is the word design. Scientists recognize it in the amazing structure of each organ in our bodies and in the intricate interaction among these organs. Today on Truth in the Test Tube, let's explore another example of design. If we wrote a job description for the nose, it would be a long and important list. It would include protecting us from infection and from poisons, diagnosing disease, detecting danger, identifying food and recognising relatives. I think of the nose as primarily the organ of smell. You mentioned that another of its functions is protecting us from infection. How does that work? The nasal passages remove bacteria, dirt, smoke and other substances that would infect or irritate the lungs. Hairs in the nostrils do the rough cleaning job. Then the mucus in the nose does the major cleaning. It acts like flypaper to trap bacteria and particles that get past the hairs. So mucus is adhesive to trap bacteria and other harmful substances. But to achieve that, the nose can't allow the mucus to stagnate. If it did, there would soon be a major build-up of pollution. So the nose produces a fresh supply of mucus many times per day. And small hair-like substances called cilia remove the old mucus, making continuous sweeping strokes. And another protection against bacteria is a micro-killer called lysozyme, the same substance that protects the eyes from infection. What else does the nose do besides detecting odours and protecting the lungs from substances that would damage them? It conditions the air for the lungs. The lungs cannot handle dry freezing air, so the nasal passages warm and humidify it. The turbinates, or nasal conchi, are long, narrow, curled bone shelves, shaped like a seashell and protruding from the sidewalls of each nostril. The late medical author J.D. Ratcliffe called them tiny radiators, with a blood supply that's enormous by comparison to its size, to provide heat to them. I read somewhere that our sense of taste depends more on the nose than on the tongue. That's true. Dr. Jeffrey Simmons writes, To get an idea of how much your nose contributes to taste, pinch your nostrils together while eating. Food becomes dull and tasteless. A person can still taste food with a damaged tongue, but a bad sinus infection will turn most food into tasting like soft cardboard. What did you mean when you said a few moments ago that our noses protect us from poison and from danger? Dr Simmons answers that without our sense of smell, we would not be able to tell spoiled milk from fresh, perfumes from poisons, the fragrance of a flower from a stench of a dead animal. Police use the sense of smell to tell whether a gun's been fired or to estimate how long a body's been dead. Doctors can diagnose kidney failure by a patient's odour. Detecting the smell of a gas leak or smoke can save a person's life. I understand that we can smell substances because they eject odour molecules into the air. But I've read conflicting interpretations of how the nose determines what smell each molecule has. One theory says that the molecule for each odour has a different shape and size. When a molecule fits into a particular odour receptor, it's like turning a key. 
it triggers a neuron to send a signal to the brain and the brain interprets that signal as a certain odour. That seems to be at least partly true. Some research seems to indicate that the receptors also respond to the fact that various molecules vibrate at various frequencies. And so a combination of molecule shape and vibration frequency seems to determine what smell that molecule is dispatching to the brain. The brain deciphers the electrical signal and knows whether the substance is a delicious dessert or a deadly poison. We discovered on previous programmes that the organs of seeing and hearing generate complex electrical signals and send them to the brain. It sounds as if that's also true of the organs of smell. Definitely. Nobel laureate Dr Richard Axel wrote an article for Scientific American describing the anatomy of the nose and other organs that are involved in detecting odours. And he called the article the molecular logic of smell. Logic is a computer word, meaning coded information. One organ or person generates information in coded form and another understands how to decode it and use it. Yes, and the portions of the brain and nervous system that process odours use several layers of computing to transmit and interpret that information. Dr Axel wrote, In mammals, initial detection of odours takes place at the posterior of the nose in the small region known as the olfactory epithelium. Millions of neurons, the signalling cells of sensory systems, provide a direct physical connection between the external world and the brain. From one end of each neuron, hair-like sensors called cilia extend outward and are in direct contact with the air. At the other end of the cell, a fibre known as an axon runs into the brain. How does that send digital signals to the brain? When an animal or human inhales odour-producing molecules, they bind to specialised receptor proteins. And the binding of odours to these receptors initiates an electrical signal that travels along the axons to the olfactory bulb located at the front of the brain. And this bulb serves as the first relay station for processing information in the brain. The bulb connects the nose with the olfactory cortex, which then projects to higher sensory centres in the cerebral cortex. So there are several layers of computerised processing of each smell. That's right. About 10 million axons form the olfactory nerve, which enters the brain. Inside the brain, groups of 10,000 axons converge at sites called glomeruli in the olfactory bulb. From there, the axons communicate with neurons that project to higher centres in the brain. So, the process of detecting odours involves parts of the body sending codes, and the brain and nervous system knowing how to decode those signals. Yes, Dr Axor elaborates, somewhere in this arrangement lies an intricate logic that the brain uses to identify the odour detected in the nose, distinguish it from others, and trigger an emotional or behavioural response. He and his researchers discovered that humans have 350 odour receptor genes. Signals from them combine to inform the brain of 10,000 different smells. That sounds similar to the way our eyes can distinguish thousands of colours by various combinations of the three primary colours. That's a good comparison. Among the multitude of receptors, how does the brain identify which receptors have been turned on by a particular scent? Well, even Nobel laureates don't completely understand the process. Dr. Axel says several scenarios are possible and he thinks one possible explanation makes more sense than the others. He concludes, 
But how does the olfactory cortex decode the map provided by the olfactory bulb? This question is one of the central and most elusive problems in neurobiology. He spells out a fairly elaborate hypothesis of how he thinks it might occur. But then he concludes, we have only begun to explore the logic of smell. Why is the position of the nose important? Why is it between our eyes and above the mouth? If the nose were located somewhere else, it wouldn't be able to evaluate our food before we eat it. If it were located in the armpit, it would be overwhelmed by other smells. If the body grew it along the shins, it would be easily injured. But he asks, where else could the nose best monitor incoming air and assess food, yet be connected to the lungs? He answers, directly above the mouth is the ideal spot. Well, Professor, let's summarise the answers we discovered for the questions we asked at the beginning of the programme. If we wanted to design the ideal nose, how would we do it? What features would we build into it? And where would we install it on the body? We couldn't improve on what the nose does, and we would not be able to improve on where it's located. It seems to be optimised for the several assignments in its job description. That's an interesting expression. It seems to be optimised for the several assignments in its job description. Dr Simmons asks, could the nose have come by chance to the proper location and have formed the complex neurological connections and the connections with the mouth, throat and windpipe by chance? He concludes the chapter on smell by asking, is it coincidence or an accident that the sense of smell monitors everything we eat and drink or inhale? Is it a mere chance mutation that the nose makes air going into the lungs safer, cleaner and warmer? Or was God arranging things for our benefit when he made the nose so optimum? Thank you for listening to Truth in the Test Tube. Now it's your turn to talk back to us with comments, questions, and suggestions. We have two different email addresses depending upon where you live. For most of the world, it's truthtest at truthinthetesttube.org. That's truthtest at truthinthetesttube.org. If you live in India, please use testtube at radio882.com. I repeat, testtube at radio882.com. Be sure to join us again soon here on Truth in the Test Tube.